Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly life transitions podcast, where we share the stories and experiences of professionals that help families create a new path for themselves. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about transitioning your life through relationship separation, starting a new career, having babies, and many other life transitions. Find out more at mycleanbreak.ca. Here are your hosts, Darren and Tina. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us on Clean Break the Podcast. I'm Darren Javog, and with me, as always, is Tina Murray. How's it going, Tina uh, Murray? It's great. It's another day. It's another uh, <laughs> fabulous guest we've got in on the show today. In a so, fabulous location. Thank you, yeah, Livestream Junkies. Yeah, this is amazing. We're really impressed with our new set. So yes. if you haven't seen it before, welcome to Livestream Junkies and our home. So For the Clean Break home. Podcast. That's right. Right. So. Yeah. Today, as always, we're talking about life transitions, yes, things, uh, crossroads that we all meet. And yeah. uh, this is a lifestyle podcast now, which yeah. is fantastic. So everyone deals with transitions, whether it's transitioning from your bed to the bathroom, which I always like to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, our guest, our last guest in a previous show was talking about that prior to going on air as well, right? Like how we transition every day, almost every moment from, you know, getting up to being here to being there. and and major transitions. Right? Yeah, and that's what this podcast is about, which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Now, before we get started, though, we have yeah. to thank somebody. Yeah, we do. We have a sponsor okay. for uh, today's show, and it is Cloud9 Business Solutions. And so let me just read their little bio. At Cloud9 Business Solutions, they provide dedicated, innovative, custom, and affordable virtual support solutions for all businesses that need a little extra help without the extra cost of hiring staff. So. If you need a virtual assistant, then you should reach out to Cloud9 Business Solutions. I think I, I think I need a virtual private assistant just for my personal life. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I would still get in trouble if I came home and I told my Sylvia that I have a, a, a virtual private assistant for my personal life. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> right? You're not going there. Anymore. Okay, no. who do we got on the show? Let's go into that. No, that's a better idea. Okay. So today on the show, we have Connie Lamble. She is from the law office of Connie Lamble and personally have used you. So welcome to the show today. So tell us uh, a little bit about you, not about your business, but just a little bit about you. Sure, certainly. So when I talk about who I am, I always say first and foremost, I'm a mom mm -hmm. and a wife and a daughter. And those things make me very happy and very proud um, from a career perspective. I'm a late bloomer, so I didn't come to law. I went to law school when I was 40. Um, at the time that I went to law school, my daughter was 14 months, and I got pregnant with my son in the first year of law school. So wow. I've, I've kind of had to figure out a way to have a family and a career at the same time because um, mm. there were no other options, and I wasn't going to sacrifice one for the other, so I've merged them, I think, relatively successfully. So hopefully my kids would say that. Um, <laughs> Probably years from now, they'll say, no, mom was always at work. No, they won't. They're going to love you. I know yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. The verdict's still out there. But uh, ultimately, so from a career perspective, I did an undergrad in criminology with the attention of being a police officer huh. um, and then found out that that wasn't for me when I was in university. Um, I actually dated a police officer and found out that what they did was not something that I thought I could do successfully or happily. Um, so I was at the time working at McDonald's, so I stayed on at McDonald's. So I was at McDonald's for 17 years. People used to call me a lifer. Wow. Um, wow. That, was, that was the term we I used. I knew you worked there, but not 17 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So that, was, that was the term for people who work at McDonald's for a long time. They were called lifers. And I would see people transition, but I loved my job. I actually, I think it's a fantastic place to work. My son's just recently started working there, and I'm so pleased because you learn so much. There's so much opportunity. Like, you can take it for as much or as little as you want. Mm -hmm. So I loved it. I stayed there, um, moved my way up from being part-time manager to full-time manager to assistant manager to store manager to managing three locations. So the, the learning experience was fantastic. Yeah. What's, and what's interesting about that is, so when I w turned to law and decided to work in the legal profession, I kind of said, well, you know, I've ran a business. I ran, when you're a restaurant manager, it's your show, right? Yeah. Done that. Uh, I'm gonna go work for a large law firm. And just so I don't have to deal with all those additional components for running a business. 
Um, and then ultimately fate takes me back to starting my own practice <laughs> and, and so using all those skills that I learned when I was at McDonald's, hiring, profit and losses, even maintenance because I bought my building. So, you know, uh, it's so funny that I never intended that to happen. It has happened and I love it. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly love my job. I love my practice. I love working. Uh, in the profession that I work in, and in in the environment that I work in, that I've established for myself, so I've mm -hmm. you know, so I've, it shows in your personality though, mm -hmm. like in uh, how you you know, uh, I think it doesn't matter what job you're in, if you're not uh, happy mm -hmm. and you don't have passion behind it, mm -hmm. it can t it, you tell you can mm -hmm. tell, right? Well, so. and I do think too, McDonald's. I mean, it's a service industry, you know, and a lot of people would say that being a lawyer, you're not in the service industry, you're a profession, and you're expounding your great knowledge and helping people with that great knowledge but we are in the service industry we have clients and we need to service them and we need to find out what they need uh, as opposed to what I have to give I have to find out what they need and if I can't give it then I need to find someone who can help them so mm -hmm. that's kind of a little bit of a helpful perspective from my past that's mm -hmm. an that's an interesting yeah, way to put it though and, I, and it's nice mm -hmm. to hear you say that because I know um, I've I've I remember discussing with a couple other friends of mine who are lawyers and uh, the reluctance to go and market and use marketing. And I know uh, a couple of lawyers were very um, uh, into marketing, like within the boundaries of what they're allowed to do. They were like, I want to market. I want to grow. I want to build. And others were like, nope, people should just come to me. Yeah. You know, and, and they just were very... Just find me in the little hole that I... <laughs> yeah, adamant. That's yeah. like, I, I'm a lawyer and that's yeah. what I do and that's yeah. all I do and people yeah. should just gravitate to me, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think there's different mindsets, but it's yeah. nice, it's refreshing to hear you say that, you know, you serve. And mm -hmm. I think we all do serve. Mm -hmm. We For all sure. serve 100%. at some level uh, in, in all of our businesses. And when I think when you accept that, you become more humble and you come to people like this rather than, you know, come to me. It's how can I help you, mm -hmm. right? So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Side topic, sorry. <laughs> no, but it's an interesting thing from the legal yeah. perspective, uh, perspective because I'm not going to lie. Sometimes when people come for legal advice and they don't take it, it is frustrating. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> because I'll be like, you came to me and you asked me, so listen, listen, listen I'm going to help you, but you have to actually do those things and yeah. not just what feels good in your gut, which sometimes in a family law situation, um, you know, is the case that people have a lot of, I want to do this because it feels good because I'm upset or I'm hurt or whatever. Mm. And you kind of have to swing them around to, well, it might feel good now, but it won't feel good later. So listen to me and let's do it this way. So mm -hmm. now yeah. when you first started in law, were like yeah. the fact that you had studied criminology previously, right. did you think you would do like a criminal aspect? Like, um, No, I never defense. intended to uh, practice criminal law. Um, when I was in law school, I had contemplated employment law because once again, this actually stems out of my McDonald's For experience sure. mm -hmm. because so much of McDonald's is human resources because we have a large staff. We I still talk about McDonald's and say we like I've been out of there for as many years as I work there or more. And I still say we because yeah. it's so ingrained in me. But McDonald's has a large staff. They have a lot of turnover. Um, so human resources was a huge part of my job as a restaurant manager and I love that aspect of my job so I kind of thought well maybe I'll transition transition that into my legal practice mm. um, so I did article at a large Ottawa employment side employee employee side employment law firm um, and then found out that that wasn't necessarily what I wanted I mean life's a journey you know mm -hmm. and I I was pretty sure that's what I wanted to do and then when I saw what it was um, a lot of litigation, a lot of high legal bills, a lot of, uh, you know, I just could, it wasn't me. I was an articling student and I had um, a client call me up on one of my first days and say, so how much is this phone call gonna cost me? <laughs> and I was like, so, oh, wow. You know, and, and that was because they had had some bad experiences in the past, not with the firm I was articling with, but with a different firm. And uh, so I didn't really want to be part of that. So. I had a background. I was I skipped over part of my career was when I left uh, McDonald's. I became a law clerk, so I was a real estate law clerk for quite a few years. Um, and so I said, "Hey, I've got a law degree. I've got experience in real estate." So uh, transitioned there, and then added to that wills and estates practice. Yeah, a little bit of uncontested family law and a little bit of corporate law, and then that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> niche that's what I do Keep small it, bucket yeah it's yeah. a relatively small <clears throat> bucket I mean some people do even smaller buckets but not too many most people who um, are solicitors so in other words I don't litigate I'm not a barrister I don't go to court 
um, because I choose not to. I've done it a couple times, did not enjoy the experience. Mm. Um, I tend to be uh, too involved and too emotionally invested. I mean, I guess that is something that comes with time and practice, but I wasn't willing to become Mm. that so uh anyway so it is adversarial right well of course it is it's it's necessarily in some situations adversarial so uh, life is short in my opinion so i was i love doing real estate i'm I'm kind of like a real estate geek like i i have a few (laughs) i have a few title issues and i'm 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 they're thorny that i have to fix and i'm excited about like i'm literally going in this weekend to deal with those i love estate work i love wills because wills I don't know how you could not enjoy doing wills. You sit down and get to talk to people about their lives, you know, like mm-hmm. you find out about what's important to them and um, what their plans are and what challenges they've had in the past that they want to try and avoid <laughs> in the future. Mm-hmm. And you can bring your experience uh, to that and say, well, that's a good plan, but, um, and I love that. It's, you get paid to sit and talk to people. So, I mean, yes, I do have to go draft a will eventually, but a good part yeah. of it yeah. is sitting and talking to people initially. And then when yeah. they come back to sign it too, we have more interesting conversations. So it's it's a, a joyful job and a joyful experience. And um, I'm happy I ended up here, even though it wasn't where I planned. <laughs> yeah. That's the 80-20 rule yeah. right there. And That's I always it. say that in my business too. 80-20. 80, so 80% relationship and 20%, 20% business. Right. Yeah. And I think, People who are transactional, it's the other way around. Yeah. So it's it's eighty percent about the business and twenty percent about relationship. Yeah. And um, I just for and you, you you just radiate that that yeah. that oh. confidence and personality <laughs> and enjoyment of your job. You yeah. do. And I've been sat at the table with you too, doing <laughs> things like wills and different contracts and that. And it's funny because we'll go in and where I could probably sign the documents, say thank you very much, see you later. I probably spend 20, 30 minutes with you, just sitting down talking about. Life, life in general yeah. where things are going yeah. you know why this is happening mm-hmm. whatever that situation is yeah and uh i think your stories are some of the best <laughs> they are because you relate things to real life because mm-hmm. i think when you're looking at <clears throat> words on a paper they mean nothing mm-hmm. they really do you could read a document and say okay this is my interpretation of it. i don't know but then you fill in the blanks with your stories and say well this is what they're trying to talk this is what this means and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. Can we fix that? <laughs> so I wouldn't have thought of these things myself, mm-hmm. you know, until I hear another perspective on it. So, yeah. 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 Sorry, my two cents. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and like the first time you did a will for one of my family members, I sat in on it and, and kind of got the feel for it. And then the second kid, I just said, go see Connie. <laughs> By the third, so, it'll be a phone call. No. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you know, so that it's interesting about stories. So Darren and I were in a business organization together in the past. And, you know, at that business organization, we would talk about what happened in our week. And I can remember being emotional one time, which just made me think of that because Tina was recently emotional <laughs> in a previous In a good way. Yes, in a good way. Exactly. This, and this was emotional in a bad way because I had, you know, so many people say to me, well, I don't need to do a will or I don't need to do powers of attorney because I don't have much or it doesn't matter because I'll be dead anyway, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And I remember this situation that occurred where um, a woman came to my office and her husband, Kamala husband, had uh, passed away and they didn't have a lot. Uh, He had $3,500 in the bank. She couldn't get it because he didn't have a will. He didn't have powers of attorney, so she couldn't access it before he passed away. And it was a small amount of money in the great scheme of things. But when she was there trying to pay her bills, it was an enormous amount of money to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and his story had been, I don't have anything. I don't need to do a will. And it's just so essential. Um, just recently, I had, um, through COVID, so many people had parents that were sick in hospitals. Um, and if the child didn't have that power of attorney document that gave them the legal ability to be the representative to get information about their parent, they were locked out because they couldn't go in the facility because everything was locked down. They couldn't get information because the um, medical profession is a gatekeeper of information necessarily to keep privacy. Mm -hmm. So here we have a parent in an institution, sick, potentially dying, and that child gets no information because they don't have a document that says that they're the power of attorney. Mm -hmm. So it's heart-wrenching. 
So a lot of times people are a bit cavalier when they say, I don't need a will, I don't need powers of attorney. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and in fact, what I tell people is you need a power of attorney more than you need a will. Mm -hmm. right. Because you're alive. If, you know, you're in the, if you're that person in the hospital and no one can help you, no one can come in and see you, no one can get information as to well, are you going to be transferred, what procedures are going to be happening. Um, if you can't have someone that can access your money to pay your bills while you're in the hospital, to take care of your children while you're in the hospital, if you have children, to take care of your parents, mm -hmm. you know, your loved one. Mm -hmm. So it's just powers of attorney are so essential um, that I just, you know, I tell people, if, if you don't have enough money to do a will and power of attorney, come and do a will and power of attorney and you can pay me $50 a month. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Just get it done first mm -hmm. and then we'll worry about the financial side of it later because it is so essential. Mm -hmm. I don't do that with real estate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's real a little thing. bit of money on the table there, right? I think you can afford it. You can afford you. it, yeah. yeah. You know, the thing is, and, and I think I've spoken to you about this in the past, um, so a family member of mine, her mom's ex-boyfriend, mm -hmm. but who had basically helped raise her, like had been in, had been her dad for 20 years type mm -hmm. thing, um, went into the hospital for surgery and stroked while in surgery. Mm -hmm. And like, and, and can't speak, can't walk, was, you know, very, very seriously affected by these strokes. No power of attorney. No, no, nothing. And no one to step up to the plate to do it anyway. So he basically was going to become a ward of the state or something like that. As a, Yeah, the public guardian steps in. Right. You don't have documents. But in the process was selling his house. His house was sold. But this was in, say, January and the house was sold for, for March. Mm -hmm. So who was going to sign all the legal paperwork? So she fought and spent. And in the end, it was like tens of thousands of dollars to become his legal guardian or whatever but she still has to even though she was awarded that she still has to report to the courts yep, on every it. year every year yeah. and they want to account for every single dime yep dime no, not dollar dime yeah and and she's like well you know i don't even it's a it's a nightmare. Yeah, you stopped to get gas on the way to go to, to see him or to deal with his house and you'd lost a little receipt. Oh, well, you know, that's... Yep. And I mean, that's uh, what I do tell people is the public guardian is there if you don't have it, but it's not a nice place to go. No. Right, um, right. Because so. it's the bureaucracy of it too, right? Mm -hmm. And the delays. Mm -hmm. And, and try, trying to get things done efficiently in a timely manner is almost next to impossible. What, what right. if somebody, you know, sat at their kitchen table today mm -hmm. after hearing this and wrote a bunch of stuff on a piece of paper yeah. and had their next door neighbor witness it? How legal is that? Yeah, so that's a good question. Wills, you can do something that's called a holographed will. I don't know why the term holograph, because when we think of holograph, we think of Star Trek. Anyway, so I don't know why it's called that. There's a reason, I'm sure, and I should probably know it, but it's, I don't know why, but it's called a holograph will. Uh, if it's in your own handwriting, and it's dated and signed. It does. You don't need witnesses. Okay. The challenge with doing wills at home is sometimes you don't know what you're doing or what mm. you're saying. And that's, um, I had a client who did his own holographed will, and he clearly had had a template that he was copying, and the template was an old one that historically lawyers would do in a quick and easy one. And then when I say historically, I'm talking like 50, 60 years ago. Mm. It would say. Um, I hereby name, in his case, it said, I hereby name my son as executor and sole beneficiary of my estate. And then he went on to give his estate to his uh, grandchildren and his son as part of it. So you knew that it wasn't an alternate disposition that he was looking at there. He he didn't understand. He'd already just given it to his son. In the first and then, sentence. And then the first sentence, because he just took that from a, someone else's will. Uh. And then, you know, alternately, he had it going to a grandchild, to a friend, and to the son in equal shares. So fortunately, everyone agreed that he didn't know what he was doing, and we were able to settle the estate. But it would have been, if there had been more dollars at play or more difficult individuals, um, you know, if the son hadn't been so gracious, he could have easily said, well, no, there's nothing left to give away. It comes to me. Uh, and he, that guy just didn't know. You know, he was trying to do a homemade will. And, and you know, it's fine if it's right. Yes. <laughs> sure, sure. You yes. can do it. Sure. Powers of attorney will be a little more challenging because what happens when you have a power of attorney is you go to whomever you want to utilize that. So, for example, a bank. And you say, okay, here's my mom's 
you know, holograph power of attorney. There's actually no no ability to do that at, um, the same way there is for a will. But if you took it, the bank would say, I'm sorry, that's not a valid document. It's not, do it's not witnessed twice. It has to be witnessed by two people. So uh, it's doable from a will perspective, not from a power of attorney perspective. And I, you know, the, the reality is, I mean, if you have to do it because you don't have another option, but the, the barrier shouldn't be cost. Like I said, you can mm -hmm. do them and pay later. Mm -hmm. Do a will now, pay later. It's doable because it's so important. Um, mm -hmm. So there's just no reason to take that chance. I mean, you could, there was, <laughs> there's a really, you're talking about stories. Uh, when I was in law school, the story sticks with me. That's how fun it was. A guy was um, in a car accident and he was under his truck and pinned and he was going to die and he was bleeding so he wrote his will on the door of his truck wow. uh, it was a holograph it was a valid holographic will so if you have to do it because you're pinned under a truck you go for that <laughs> and did he die but, yeah he yeah. died yeah i think yeah. it's called a deathbed will eh? or uh, deathbed or death deathbed will uh, yeah i don't Something think like that yeah you have it has to be uh death has to be eminent uh and the other person you leave something to has to get it. Yeah, so that's a different. That's a different thing. That's a deathbed gift. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's. But a holographic <clears throat> will it doesn't have to be on death. Like. Okay. Many years ago, um, before I was a lawyer, I used to do one before I went on vacation, <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> and stick it in this, the safe just in case, and then promise myself I was going to go get a proper will done. Okay. Uh, when I got back from vacation, so, yeah. But once again that's dealing with the least important thing. Like the power of attorney is the most important. If I'm uh, in the Caribbean on a vacation and I'm incapacitated, I'm in a hospital, you know, my will isn't, my holographic will in my safe isn't gonna do me any good. I need a power of attorney document, power of attorneys, so one for medical and one for property. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. I know in, my, in our industry, we deal with uh, powers of attorney, but the people can be competent. They can be, you know, have cogn cognition and stuff like that. It's just, they're basically giving you the power to trade investments right, right? and yeah, but they're sure. perfectly sound oh, absolutely oh, but that's a power oh, of attorney oh, okay, as well okay, right yeah, yeah. so 100 um, you don't yeah. have to be incapacitated absolutely right, right so talk like let's just talk about the powers of attorney what types of things are needed and why are they needed why you alluded to it but in terms of why would you need a power of attorney right yeah i mean the power of attorney it's called the power of attorney for property but property in the broad sense so you deal with uh, real cash. estate cash anything car sell your car um I think the most common scenarios that we see are incapacity, but then on the flip side of it, as people age, they just don't want to do their banking anymore. Mm. So a lot of times they call it into play, as Darren was saying, you don't have to be incapacitated. They just go, you know, I, I can't do that online banking thing. I don't want to do, I don't know, I can't write a check anymore, you know, so-and-so just take care of my things for me. So that's the, probably the most common time we see it come into play. Uh, and then incapacity, which can be an accident, a car accident, you're in the hospital. It can be Alzheimer's dementia. Mm -hmm. um, so it can be a prolonged period of incapacity. So How does one enact it? So let's just say I'm power of attorney for my parents and whether they deem I need to enact it or not, I deem I need to enact it. How does yes. that work? So it like, it, it depends. Obviously, yeah. there's got to be uh, times where, you know. <clears throat> People don't want it to happen. And others say, yeah, we need it. So like, it's. Fortunately, that happens less often than you would think. Okay. Um, so, unfortunately, if we get to the point that a parent is saying, I have capacity, and the child's saying, no, you don't, because you just spent $3,000 last month on online shopping, and you would never done that historically, so no, you don't, the parent has the ability to say, well, that's my choice, it's my money, and I'm going to do what I want with it. So, if we have a conflict like that, we would need a capacity assessment, and that's how are you going to get a cap capacity assessment when the person says, I have capacity? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's a very challenging situation. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we don't have to deal with it very often. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it's very a discrete issue that doesn't come up very often, Thankfully. fortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do power of attorneys work outside of province? So if you sign yeah. one he here, you can go out of other provinces and outside and of Canada? So. Yeah. So, so what happens, it depends on the jurisdiction. So <laughs> what happens is... Um, the jurisdiction that you're using it in will have adopted legislation that says either we do or we don't recognize other jurisdictions' powers of attorney and how they were created. So, for example, here in Canada, uh, the, some of the East Coast provinces, you only require one witness to do a power of attorney. Um, then here in Ontario, we need two, 
But we have legislation that says as long as it was created correctly in the jurisdiction that it was made in. Mm. Right. So it's a bi-jurisdiction, um, you know, answer to that question. So okay. we would have to investigate. And then the health port component, how does that work? Same thing. It's so, I mean, it, obviously, other than, you know, uh, the most common is you are incapacitated. Mm -hmm. But even so, if mom is just... Um, not up to snuff and she wants someone to book her appointments for her, she can take her power of attorney for care, give it to her decision maker, hmm. and they can book the doctor's appointments, cancel them, get um, the information from a test, hmm. which you can't do without that document. So it's so important that you have them. Mm -hmm. um, so, And I know, um, Darren, you had mentioned to me about separating what happens when you separate, and the law mm -hmm. has just recently changed on that front. Um, historically, it's actually changed for the better mm -hmm. for people who are separating. So historically, even if you were separated, your uh, wills and powers of attorney would continue into effect. So if you name your ex-spouse and you didn't change them, they continue to be your executor, they continue to be a beneficiary under your estate until you're divorced. Divorce would revoke that. Mm -hmm. um, so Bill 245 was enacted, I guess it was, it came into a force in January of this year. and it provides that if you're separated, if you have a separation agreement, if you have a divorce order or an arbitration order, now your separated spouse, the, the gift, it's as if they died. So they don't exist anymore. So it doesn't revoke your whole will. So that's great because uh, the revoc revocation of a whole will is problematic. Um, so now, however, it's if you've been separated for three years and it only comes into a force in January 2022. So if you separated, um, you know, two years ago, it won't uh, affect you. So your will will continue to stay in effect even if you're separated. Right. So you have to be separated three years post January 2022 for this legislation to take place. And you have to be separated three years. So if you're only separated six months and you pass away, those provisions still prevail. The law gives you that period of time to um, to get your documents in place, and they assume otherwise if you haven't, it's because you want them mm -hmm. to still be the predominant prevailing wishes. Mm -hmm. right. So ultimately, if something happens that um, that three-year period hasn't happened, it's it's still going to be your old will. Mm. If not, your spouse is considered deceased, and it will follow the other provisions. So that gift to your spouse let's say you had an alternate disposition in your will so sometimes when i'm doing wills we call it the disaster provision mm -hmm. you would say to me or my spouse but if we both go down here's what we want to have happen so that alternate provision will kick in so here's the kicker so most people have as their alternate disposition if they have children it's children that's typically easier if they don't or even the alternate if their kids happen to die with them or predecease them Half goes to each side of the family, typically. Right. So that gift presumably would still stay in place. Uh -huh. um, so half could still be going to your spouse's side of the family, potentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's obviously with the legislation having just been changed. I'm not 100% sure how that would might be interpreted. But um, but the three years is crucial. Hmm. Why three years? That um, seems like... I didn't read the background to the legislator uh, legislation, um, how it came through all the readings and any amendments they made to it. Um, but I mean, there's a bunch of presumptions the law makes. One of them was just recently changed as well, which is historically when you marry, it revokes your will. Mm -hmm. That ended as well in January 2022. So that's good. I think that's a, a healthy change. But the reason that they did historically the law, when I said the law makes assumptions, it's assuming that if in that case, that if you had gotten married, you should be reconsidering your responsibilities. So I think on the flip side, the three years is probably in there because they're saying, well, just because you're separated doesn't necessarily mean that you d wouldn't want your spouse or your children to be the beneficiaries. So you need to cognitively think of that and make those changes. Mm. Um, and speaking of beneficiaries, um, I think I hear this sometimes over on the separation side is people want to like, when they're uh, still together, um, they want to cut their spouse out of the will completely. Like they, they want to cut they want to put everything to their children, to their children, or, or so some other. So they're still living together, right? They're still living together, they're and not they, separated. And, and there is dependence on each other financially to a certain degree, yeah. and 
I think sometimes people, it's, it's an absolute. Like if you put it in the will, it's absolute. It's going to happen. I don't think that's entirely true though, right? No, you're 100% correct. <clears throat> right. So um, the only time I've had that experience was, and I've had the exact same scenario twice, which was I had a client come to me and say, I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. I'm going to pass away. Here's my will. I named my spouse and then alternately my children. My spouse is not financially responsible and I don't want my 40 years of hard work going to my spouse on my passing so that they can buy toys and waste my money. I want it to go to my children. What can I do? The challenge is even if you change your will, it doesn't necessarily uh, change the outcome because spouses, married spouses have a right to your estate. So they have the option of saying, I'm going to take under the Family Law Act. I'm going to pretend that we're separated at your death or divorced, I should say, separated, divorced, whichever, uh, uh, both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the time of your death. Yeah. Uh, and separated. And I'm going to take under the Family Law Act, which means I'm entitled to half whatever you would have been entitled to if you got divorced, right? So. Um, all of the same rules apply. So any assets that have grown since the date of marriage are split equally. If you or your spouse had assets before marriage, those are not split. You get to exempt them from that equation. Um, but yeah, it's not as simple as just changing your will. And if you go to see a lawyer, they will tell you that. They'll be like, yeah, sure, we can make this change. There's no guarantee it will be honored. Right. There's tons of litigation out there mm -hmm. about, um, so with a lot of people, the matrimonial home is their primary asset. Mm -hmm. They've put their money into that. They've sunk their money into that. They may not have anything else. And so we can do something called severing the joint tenancy. So if you owned your home as joint tenants, you do a transfer from yourself to yourself. That severs the joint tenancy so there's no right of survivorship anymore. It won't roll automatically to your spouse. It will pass through your will. But right. then we're still at the same crossroads, which is, uh, if you haven't left anything to your spouse, they have a right to say, wait a minute, um, I can take under the Family Law Act. So then we have to kind of decide um, how we want to deal with that situation. So typically what we'll do is we will give some form of a gift to a spouse on passing to say, here, I'm, I'm satisfying my obligations under the Family Law Act, take this gift and be happy. So. Hmm. May or may You're not good? work. Yeah. Good, I, I'm okay. See, this is why you need to talk to a lawyer. It's deep though, right? Mm -hmm, and yeah. I know one, speaking <clears throat> of changes, uh, recently some, some things happened in, in the investment industry okay. because sometimes people will use accounts to try to bypass the will, bypass probate, right? So Have put, direct beneficiaries. Right. So they'll add beneficiaries or they'll put joint owners on an account, right? right? And that for better or worse, uh, there's pros and cons, I always say, because it's not the perfect solution because sometimes people are trying to avoid probate tax, but then they're creating another tax, which is capital gains. I'm like, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? capital gains is a lot bigger than probate tax. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But people are so focused on probate sometimes that yeah. they, I always say, go to, I, I tell people straight up, before you do this, go talk to your lawyer and, and, and see if there's a better method of doing this. Because yes, you're going to save $10,000 on the million dollars, but in 20 years from now, you're creating a $120,000 tax liability to your to your children. Yeah, right? and I always say the reverse. I always say, okay, this is our plan. Now go see your financial planner. <laughs> 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 because I don't want to create any tax problems that someone comes back and says, so Connie, true. look what you said. So I always do the same thing. I go, this I can help you avoid probate. But I, you know, the probate issue is is. Um, commonly brought up in my office as people get a little bit older and start saying, well, wait a minute, do I really want to pay any extra taxes? Um, I had a client one time, super nice fella, had three daughters. And he was like, Connie, I'm very tax adverse. I do not want to pay taxes. So I've got three daughters and I've done some reading and I think, you know, this is the way I'm going to avoid probate tax. Probate tax is a one and a half percent tax. Like it's, it's a tax, but by the same token, it's not a large tax. So it's good if you can avoid it, but it's not worth certain sacrifices, certainly not worth incurring, incurring some capital gains. But mm -hmm. in this case, most people want to treat their kids equally. That's their goal. So they say, you know, I don't want any unhappiness between my children when I pass away, so I'm going to just treat them equally. 
So he came to me and said, I have a house. At the, this was many years ago before the big inflammatory prices of today. Right. And my house is worth $200,000. And I have a life insurance policy worth $200,000. And I have an RRSP worth $200,000. So I'm going to name one daughter as a beneficiary under my life huh. insurance, hmm. one daughter as beneficiary under my RSP, and one I'm going to put jointly on the home so that it rolls automatically after right of survivorship to my other daughter. Sounds like a great plan. He I'll thought take the it, life insurance. Yeah. <laughs> well, or the house. He's still yeah, alive. Yeah, that two hundred thousand yeah. dollar house is now worth well, about eight. That's true. So that and that's what I said to him. I said, well, so we have a problem here. I said, you're going to spend your RSP. Oh no, no, I'm not going to need it. And I said, well, there's going to be tax on it, and yet you don't know yet that you're not going to need it. You might need it. Um, the life insurance policy is not going to go anywhere. It'll be 200, 200, 200. And a house is probably going to accrue in value. And it did. Right. Um, so he is still alive. And he has one daughter on his joint home, which is probably maybe not worth eight, but $600,000. He's got one, dollar on a, one daughter on his $200,000 life insurance policy and one named as a direct beneficiary under his RSP, which I don't know if it's still 200 or, or not. But so in attempt to avoid a 1.5% tax, He's got one daughter potentially getting 600000 one getting two, and one who knows. So mm. I, I said that to him, and he said, no, this is the way I'm going to go. And that's fine. People can make their decisions as long as they're aware, and that's my job is to make them aware. Yeah. He said, my kids will figure it out. They'll do it. Oh, yeah, I, I, I always cool. discourage people from doing that 100%. Yeah. But yeah. the reality is the client gets to dictate what they want to do with their wills. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I tell people all the time in British Columbia, they have a thing called the Wills Rectification Act. A judge in British Columbia can actually say, mm, you know, you didn't put your kids in there. And I really think you should have thought of your kids when you passed away. So we're going to give some money to your kids. In Ontario, we don't have that. So if mm. you put in your will, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen, barring some other challenge to your will. So, mm. so in this mm. case, could pe could the kids challenge it? Uh, no, no, he made a decision and, and uh, you know, he literally said to me, I don't care if they're treated equally. So, but he wanted them to be treated equally well, yeah. 10 he years had, ago. Yeah, he, but he, but I told him that, that this is going to, I literally predicted, I said, you know, this is not going to end up in an equal distribution, no matter what happens. Right. It might, I didn't realize properties would go up as high as they did because yeah. I don't have a crystal ball, but um you know, so he he went into it. I mean, it's, it's you can do what you want. You're a, when you pass away, you have the right over your own property, the independence and the autonomy to gift your stuff to whomever you want, however you want, as long as you're not under the influence of someone else, as long as you have full capacity. Um, you know, people leave out their kids all the time, uh, and you know, usually we put in the will why just to, to so that that mm -hmm. child cannot contest it so we know there was a really valid reason for it mm -hmm. that helps because people can contest a will for sure children in particular mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but not in bc where it's just an audit well i shouldn't say automatic review but where there's legislation that literally says yes a judge could overturn your will mm -hmm. here in ontario your will is your will unless there's some evidence of wrongdoing mm -hmm. or influence or mm -hmm. i can't imagine the tension oh, that that a state sure. is going to cause because like even if the daughters are like, I'm just happy that dad thought of me, right? They're gonna know what the other siblings got, and they're gonna be like, well, it's very nice to have this, but I'm getting like you said with the RSPs. I'm it's not two, it's one, right? Because of the tax, and other ones getting two, and the other ones getting six. They're you're building in a conflict, conflict yeah, 100%. right? And as much as people don't want to mm -hmm. conflict, they're mm -hmm. gonna be conflicted, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So and I mean, they're you know his. <clears throat> his belief was that the daughter who sells the $600,000 house would then split equally with her siblings. And maybe she will and maybe she won't. We don't right. know. Right. Uh, but to me, the whole point of having a plan is to minimize the opportunity for conflict. Mm -hmm. That's, right. that's right. got to be a good goal to mm -hmm. me. But everybody's different. And that's the reality is and it does get back to the service, you know, conversation we had at the beginning. I, I can say to a client, I don't think this is a good plan. I think you should have a different plan. And they go, no, nah, that's my plan, Connie. And I'll go, okay, well then I help them institute it. 
right. you know, I can give advice and that's all I can do. Mm -hmm. And then as long as they're not doing something illegal, right, that I can say, as long as they're following the law, <laughs> then, then I can help them in, implement that plan, you know. So let, you know, we hear a lot about probate, probate. Yes, and it's, probate. A, it's a word that's used all the time when we talk about wills, but can you Tell us, people who know nothing about sure. wills, what the heck is probate? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've I, heard it. I, I've heard it do this like quite a few times, so yeah. it's awesome. And you remember <laughs> I, most of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the reality is that so many people I use that term and just assume people know what it means. Sometimes, so it's great that you you, you answered that, asked that question. So, probate is literally the Latin word for proof. So, probate takes the, you take the will of the person who's passed away to the courthouse. The courthouse says, okay, let's say it's me. I've got a will for Connie Lamble here. Let's uh, take it to the courthouse. The courthouse will advertise around other courthouses in Ontario to see if anyone else brought forward a will for Connie Lamble. So I have a current will that's sitting in my cabinet that I did probably six years ago. Let's say I have a boyfriend. <laughs> I go get another will and I leave everything to my boyfriend in my new will. And my family doesn't know about this new will that I did. That new will will revoke my old will. Because it's later. Right. Mm -hmm. So if my husband and my boyfriend go to the courthouse. I love it. <laughs> both. So one goes to the Rockville courthouse and one goes to the Ottawa courthouse. Uh, and they take that will in. The courthouse is going to go, oh, hold still. We have a problem here. So that's the purpose of probate, of proving that that is the one and only, or in True that well. case, the most recent will of Connie Lamble. So the reason that the, we have this in place is because institutions ask us for proof, that probate, uh, before they'll let you deal with it. Because the, the bank doesn't want to give all my money to X. my husband if yeah. my boyfriend's entitled to it, right. or right. give it to my boyfriend if my husband's entitled to it. Right. So they, the bank, says, well, I want some, and it's not a fool, I was just talking to someone about this the other day, it's not a foolproof method. Maybe the husband or the boyfriend sits on the will for six months, and then brings it forward. Mm -hmm. So it's not a perfect system, but it's a form of due diligence that the bank will say, we want that. We want to know that we're dealing with the right executor, that the right beneficiaries are going to end up with this money. So go take that will and go through that process. And that is called probate. What happens is this is a service provided by the provincial government. While they're doing that, they say, we'll take a little tax, please. It's not a huge tax. It's one and a half percent. There are jurisdictions that have a 50% death tax, like in the United States. Mm -hmm. One and a half percent. It's not huge, but, you know, if you can avoid it. And so a lot of what estate planning from a financial planner and from a, a lawyer's perspective is, is minimizing those taxes where it makes sense. Right. So if I have a client who has, um, so let's say me, I have a husband and I have two kids. Super easy. To my spouse, to my kids. So I go in and I avoid tax. I say my RSPs are straight to my spouse and then if I predecease to my children. My life insurance is to my spouse and if if I predecease, if he predeceases, then to the children. Um, so it's super, super simple. I name my children as direct beneficiaries under anything that I can or make things joint. My house is joint so that there'll be automatic rollover when I die to avoid that probate tax. But sometimes it doesn't make sense. So I have clients who have very complicated distributions. They have charities, they have nieces, nephews, um, siblings that they want to benefit. You can't go in and set that up under your life insurance policy or under your investments. I mean, you may be able to if you have a really, really financial uh, uh, planner that can you know, wave their magic wand or make miracles yeah. happen because for the most part, I think it's pretty straightforward at that level. It's gonna be one, two levels of distribution um, and, for example, setting up um, who you want the trustee to be if money's going in trust for a children or a disabled child or a disabled beneficiary. Those things get complicated when you're mm -hmm. trying to do them in life insurance. So sometimes you just suck up the one and a half percent. You pay it and you have in your will will dictate those. But so if it makes sense, do it. And if it doesn't, don't. That's really and mm -hmm. like those three three daughters, you know, does it make sense or doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Would be nice if it was just a flat fee, wouldn't it? If it was really probate? truly yeah, if it was really truly just a fee, like a thousand dollars on any estate that's probated, mm -hmm. it'd be great. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's a percentage. It's a percentage. Yeah. So I've never actually had anybody explain that whole process to me. I just you know, yeah, I know. And so you hear some wills have to go through probate and mm -hmm. others don't. Yeah. So if I died today, 
my will would not need to be probated. I own my house jointly. I, my Anything I have is either joint with my spouse or he is a direct beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So if I die today, we would not need to probate my will. Um, you know, if my husband passes away first and then everything rolls to me, more likely when I die, there will be some probate required. So a lot of times people will come to me and say, you know, my spouse passed away and I'm thinking about it. And I, you know, I virtually just yesterday had a client say the house passed to me so seamlessly. I like that. So I want to pass it on to, in this case, a niece. I'd like it to go to my niece just as seamlessly as it came from my husband to me. So let's put her on joint. And I go, we can do that, but you lose your autonomy and your decision making because then you have to go to that niece if you want to sell, you want to refinance. Um, so let's say this lovely lady who's just a young 75 meets someone uh, from Mexico and wants to sell her house and move to Mexico. The niece is now on title and might go, oh, auntie, I don't think you're thinking straight. Yeah, it's her choice. It's her house. So let her have her house and let her do what she wants to do with it. It's hers. So I do discourage people from aggressively reducing probate taxes through those methods. Mm. However, if you get a diagnosis that, you know, is unfavorable and you think that you're going to pass in the near future, there's a really good chance you're going to pass in the near future. That's the time to jump on it, Mm -hmm. Um, get in and get as many things joined and have direct beneficiaries as you possibly can. Mm. Now, is there a capital gains implication on that? No. Uh, on, on the, the house, fact, on no. the house, because you never lived in it. No, so we do it in trust um, for estate planning purposes, and so there is no capital gains implications, hmm. as far as I'm aware. But I do send people to accountants before. I mean, are <laughs> you not an accountant. accountant. You're not an accountant. <laughs> no, I know yeah, not financial an accountant. planner will help I, you with your investments. Yeah. Your I'm accountant. I'm all about the team. You're, I always say that. No, one hundred percent. I think I always open any any types of workshops I talk. I, I always say, bring your team together, have mm-hmm. people talk. Yeah. Because when the you know when Connie's doing one thing and I'm doing another thing and then you There's know the accountants are, the, yeah, yeah and people sure. aren't talking mm-hmm. yeah. they don't I, they're taking a bit of a guess they'll ask some probing questions mm-hmm. but if you don't let them know who you're dealing with mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. they're they're like okay this is the best advice I can give you on the situation mm-hmm. but when all three of those come together it is like it's like a symphony it really is it's it's mm-hmm. like listening to perfect music because mm-hmm. everyone's going in the right direction yeah right so yeah how often should you review it so like my my will was done when my kids were quite little and now they're 17 20 and 23 so yeah i think it's rather than putting a year on it which i've heard a lot of people do i say it's a life circumstance thing mm. if nothing's changed even if it's 20 years i mean when i sit down with clients to do a will i say to them this will has to make sense as it happens to you next month or next year but let's build some longevity into it so what if your kids do predecease you and they have children of their own? Where do you want that to go? Let's think about it just in case you do throw it in a drawer and you forget about it. Mm. So, but to answer the question, ideally it's when you have a change in circumstances. So for example, if your kids are now old enough to be your decision makers and previously you had your sister-in-law, your brother-in-law, your parents mm. on as your alternate executors or powers of attorney, it's time to review that and mm. throw your kids in there. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if any of those decision makers um, predeceases you, then it's time to look at it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's it's more circumstance based. Yeah. I have a million questions I, I can know. ask you. Like I feel like oh, I, I feel <laughs> like we barely started go. talking. What's that? I feel like we I, barely yeah, we just, started talking. We literally just started talking. But we should, we're Connie. We're gonna have you back on the show because I want to talk about trusts. Yeah. You know, I want to talk. There's there's so many things that we could talk about as far as just estate planning in general that I think are very powerful and people just don't know because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So you're such. Uh, it's it's so refreshing to have you on the show and talk mm-hmm. about this. I think a lot of people sometimes avoid the conversation because yeah. it's it's you're talking about eminent demise of yeah. yourself, right? But and it's so important. It is. It, so it really important. is because if you're not having the conversation, you can't assume people know what you're thinking. You mm-hmm. just can't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the like I see it so often where where families come together around a table, and the parents say one thing, mm-hmm. and I say let's have a family meeting. And you bring everyone around the table and parents say, great. So when they take over the farm and the look just goes like that on the children's faces and they say, we're not taking over the farm. (laughs) And parents are like, you know, so there's a little bit of shock and a little bit of anger for a few minutes. But then things settle down and people say, "Okay, 
what do you want? What would you like to see happen? <laughs> and now you get to actually have an open conversation mm -hmm. and just own your feelings and mm -hmm. just and then put it on paper with somebody, okay. you know? Mm -hmm. So that is so powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Because people just don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. 100%. If yeah. you think it's going to all the kids like little unhappinesses with each other will melt away when you die, you're wrong there. No. For sure, yeah. <laughs> they exacerbate. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, and you know, I, you and I have had this conversation before and I'm not sure if we've, I think we've touched on it on the show, but like my, my parents are super, super ultra organized. Like, like honestly, Darren gave <laughs> Label me- Label maker. Like, <laughs> Darren gave me uh, like a sort of an estate planning <clears throat> uh, checklist, yeah. but it was after I had the meeting with my mom and he's like, maybe I should interview her to see what I should do better. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe like, she should give, give, give me some tips. Yeah, yeah, like just, you know, like folders and this and this and this and this is our, and I was like, so basically what do you want me to do when you die? Because there's nothing left. Like, you, you know, sent me pictures. Everything's, yeah. Everything was in like like little folders, uh, and, folders and then those, those no, the, the, the plastic containers. Yeah. <laughs> Clear plastic containers Honestly, all stacked. And, and I feel oh. I, I feel so relieved. It's such a sense of relief for me mm -hmm. because I know that you know my dad is eighty five, my mom is eighty, almost eighty. Like you know, I it's not that I want them to go, but it is a reality. There, mm -hmm. we all know that death and taxes are the two real things, the realities in life, mm -hmm. and it's just such a um, peace of mind. Yeah. Uh, that what she wants is so clear. What they want is so clear and so laid out and so done. Yeah, organization is important yeah. as well as, and that's when we do the will usually, we talk about um, the other things, the other components. Where is your insurance? Where is your car yeah. insurance? Where, yeah. where do you bank? And do you have a plot? And all those things, because mm. we think that everyone in our family knows these things, but ultimately, so much. Oh, I have been told, don't you dare put me in the ground. <laughs> there you go. Okay, on My that note, life. on that note, I think we're going to put a period on it <laughs> and, and say that we'll have Connie back on the show again absolutely. to talk about some other topics. Yes, absolutely. Connie, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, well, website's the best. I mean, because all our contact information is there. So even if you just Google Connie Lawyer Kempel, I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> For now, Kempel, Kempel is growing pretty fast. It is. I'm going to put money on the fact that there won't be another Connie la Lawyer in Kempel <laughs> in the next short while. Excellent. Okay, so on the on the website, and what's your phone number uh, at the office? So 258-0038. Yeah. I made that look like it was a complicated question because I don't call myself very often. But that's, <laughs> that's what it is. Well, it is, it is a pleasure to 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 have you on well, the show yeah, pleasure it. to work with you in a professional capacity um and so thank you so much for for joining us and we will definitely have you back again for Sounds sure good. so please if you are in need of a will or powers of attorney or selling real, real estate real estate i'm sure that's kind of like coming down a little bit now for you you're pretty that was pretty good yeah it's july's a little bit quieter but august is looking darn busy so it's really hard to know <laughs> yeah. honestly i don't i don't get i don't make bets because i can't guess i can't predict yeah you're so you're yeah. so calm for being so busy every time i talk to her she's always like very busy and i'm like god you're so calm about it <laughs> What else can you do, yeah, right? Yeah, what else can you do? Exactly. Can you do? So, all right. Well, look, so if you want to find yeah. out more about Connie and all the other uh, great professionals that are, are part of Clean Break, check out mycleanbreak.ca. Uh, tons of advice, podcasts, and uh, just great all-around advice on life and life transitions. Yeah. By the way, yeah. uh, we're going to say thank you to our, our, our yes. sponsor. Yeah. So Cloud9 Business Solutions, they are a an amazing uh, virtual assistant organization at... They provide dedicated, innovative, custom, and affordable virtual support solutions for all businesses that need a little extra help without the extra cost of hiring staff. So that's Cloud9 Business Solutions. They're so awesome. Reach out to Ashley and her team. Okay, so we'll put a pin there. Yep. Till next time, uh, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you, and we will see you on the other side of the mic. You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on life transitions. You can find more topics like today's and other great advice from life transition professionals at mycleanbreak.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. mycleanbreak.ca has clear and simple advice from trusted local professionals to help you get to the other side of any transition.